Welcome to the Allentown Fellowship Church Podcast. Join us as we study God's Word book by book and then apply practical application to our lives. Good morning. Welcome. Allentown Fellowship Church here and uh, excited to be coming to you again uh, as we continue in our series in the book of James. So if uh, you have your Bible, you can go ahead and grab that. Turn over to James chapter 4, um, as we will be uh, getting into God's Word here shortly. Uh, just uh, wanted to also let you know, um, one of the things that uh, I'm passionate about is that uh, people understand and know how to study God's Word. Um, the whole Christian life is based on the Word of God. Um, and so many times... Uh, there is a disconnect between our, our walks, our day-to-day -day walk uh, in life and doing all the stuff that you do with connecting it to the Word of God. And if, if God's Word is, as it claims to be, the source of all wisdom and truth, but there's a wall in between us getting that wisdom and truth, then where does that leave us as believers? And a lot of people struggle with studying God's Word knowing how to get into God's Word uh, in order to get that wisdom. And so one of the things that we wanted to do here at Allentown Fellowship, uh, we were looking to do this in the future, is to kind of start a Bible study uh, during the week where we would start walking through how do you study God's Word. Well, in light of the circumstances, obviously uh, we can't do that in person, but I am going to start to do that um, next week. And uh, we're going to start uh, posting YouTube videos on our YouTube channel. Uh, and we're going to do a series on how to study God's Word. Uh, I believe that God desires for us to be able to get into the Word, get into what He says, and know how to mine out the principles for your own life. So starting next week, uh, we're going to start having those up on YouTube. Uh, probably every Wednesday, I'm going to try to do uh, a lesson on how to study God's Word. And so uh, spread the word on that. If you want to refresh your course or you know people in your family or friends that constantly say, I just don't know where to start. I don't know how to get into His Word. Uh, hopefully this series is going to help to that end. Well, let's have a word of prayer and we're going to look at James chapter 4 as we continue walking through the book of James. God, I pray for your grace in all of our lives as we get into your Word even now. Uh, open up our eyes, help us to understand you better, help us to examine our own lives in light of your truth. We thank you in Christ's name, amen. Uh, we've been saying that the book of James is kind of like, um, like the book of Proverbs, because it has a number of different topics that it deals with. Um, last week we were in uh, chapter 3, and we finished up chapter 3, where James was dealing with uh, wisdom from above talking about the fact that the wisdom from the above is pure, right? It doesn't seek its own ambition. It's not um, about jealousy and strife, but, but that it's about peace, right? He talked about at the end of verse, uh, or rather the uh, end of the chapter, the last verse, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. And remember, remember the context here. These are Jewish teachers that he's probably primarily directing this at in this church. 
Remember, this book is written to believers, to the uh, tribes that are scattered, the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. James is writing this letter to them, and there's contention in the church. Uh, who would have thought? <laughs> contention in God's house. Um, but some of these Jewish teachers are pitting themselves up against one another, vying for position. Um, and James writes them to really rebuke them, to say, you, you know, you say you're wise, you say you know Christ, your life ought to reflect it by the way you're treating one another. And so we ended chapter 3 where he talked about this wisdom that comes from above versus wisdom that really has its root uh, in the demonic, which is kind of sobering when you think about that. That when believers are caught up in rivalry, selfish ambition, jealousy, bitterness, James says that's coming right from the pit of hell. And I don't know that we think of it that way sometimes when we get into arguments and things of that nature with other believers. That that type of wisdom is not wisdom that produces the righteousness of God. That's exactly what Satan wants us to do. So he says that's demonic. A powerful challenge. Well, we come to chapter 4, and again, as he is continuing to give admonition and warning to these believers, look at what he says. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Wow. <laughs> again, we're talking to believers here. He answers his own question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There's something that you want so bad that it's causing all types of division and fighting among you. And then he goes on to explain what the problem is. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Wow. So again, remember the historical context here. Picture these Jewish teachers vying for position, vying to have the prominence one over the other. Why? Because they're driven by selfish ambition. So there's jealousy, there's rivalry, there's all of this contention, and it's causing what among them? Well, chapter 4, a bunch of quarreling and fighting. And he says, you're trying to go after stuff, you're trying to fulfill your own selfishness, and it's causing all types of... of uh, tension on the inside of you and notice what he says in verse 2 I believe he's given a metaphor here you desire and you don't have so you murder you can't get what you want and, and I don't believe in the context there he's talking about that you literally are killing people but by the way relationally you are responding to people with the arguing and the bitterness it, it, you're going after other people destroying other people's lives relationally because of what you can't get. Remember Jesus Christ said that if we have anger in our heart towards someone, we're just as guilty as murdering them? Here, the dissension is so bad. These people are so self-centered in what they want that they're willing to destroy the relationships that they have with believers within this church. So he says... You covet. There's stuff that you desire. You're, you're looking at what other people are doing. And because you can't get it, so what do you do? You cause all types of fighting and quarreling. Think about this. He's talking to believers. 
What is it that is going on in these believers' lives to cause them to act this way? Because they're acting just like an unregenerate person. I think it's a good warning to us to show that even though you may be a believer, you have to guard against this. That even as a believer, you can covet. You can have jealousy in your heart. You can envy. You, you can have all the same things that these believers are struggling with. And James is saying it causes a bunch of quarreling and fighting and unrest in your life. Why? Simply because you can't get what you want. How many of us are tempted to fall into that? A lot of times in a counseling setting, I hear people say, you know, I'm trusting God, but he's not answering my prayer. And so there's this unrest in their hearts. And a lot of times what they're referring to are things that they want. God's not giving me the promotion. God's not fixing this in my life. And it's driven out of just really selfish ambition. This is what I want for me, and he's not doing it. And it causes unrest. This is what's happening in this church. Look at what he says as he goes on. He begins to unpack why they're not getting the things that they want. Look at verse 3. You ask and you do not receive. So they are praying, but they're not getting what they want. Why? Because you ask wrongly. Your motivation is wrong. Look at the motivation. You're asking in order to spend it on your passions. Wow. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with praying for things in your life. God says in his word to let your request be made known, right? God says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. We saw that earlier in the book of James, okay? But... What he's dealing with here is these are people that are solely concerned about themselves. There are things that they want for their own selfish desires, not for the kingdom of God, not for the benefit of other people. I want this for me. And they're praying and they're asking God for it. And James is, you want to know why you're not getting it? Because you're asking with the wrong motivation. Listen, God is not going to bless your selfishness. That, that's a prayer request he's not going to answer. And so a lot of times we have to be careful to understand that while I can ask God for things, if it's really rooted in just something that is just for me, my selfish, he calls it what? Your passions. You want to spend it. You want to receive these things just for your passions. Has nothing to do with the welfare of others or for what God is doing in your life. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to balance sometimes, right? So let me ask you a question. Is it wrong for you to pray for a bigger house? Wrong for you to pray for a nicer car? Wrong for you to pray for it? You fill in the blank. Well, it's not wrong to want those things. But I think you have to look at the motivation. Can I pray for something? Because I really would like it. I would like to enjoy it. So, Lord, I'm praying that I might have a nicer car or a nicer house because it would be enjoyable and all the things I could do. There's nothing wrong with that prayer in and of itself. So when does it become sinful? Our request becomes sinful when it becomes a, a matter of, I must have this. 
God, I need you to do this for me. And it's almost like we give God an ultimatum. <clears throat> God, if you don't do this for me, then I'm going to do what? I'm going to get jealous. I'm going to get bad. I'm going to start coveting somebody else who has it. I'm going to start having bitterness in my heart. Now that's where the request has gone sour. So there's nothing wrong with asking for things. Look, God has given us a big, beautiful world to enjoy all the different things that, that we can experience in this world, even though it's fallen. There's still a lot of beauty, a lot of experiences that we can enjoy in this world. But don't let any of those things become a I must have. And if I don't have it, now I'm bitter, now I'm angry, now I feel like God is selling me short. That's what these people were doing. That's the wrong motivation. That's the wrong attitude. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Romans, or not Romans, in Philippians. I have learned to be what? Content. In whatever state I'm in, whether I have a little bit, whether I have a lot, whether I have an iPhone 11, an iPhone 5, I'm good. Do I want an iPhone 11? That'd be nice. Am I going to covet the fact that you have one and I don't? Am I going to get mad? Am I going to get bitter? Am I going to get envious? Now I'm wrong. And that's a prayer God will never answer. Why? Because my heart now is attached to stuff rather than keeping my perspective that, God, this is all yours, and in your providence, you've allowed me to have the piece of pie that I have. I'm not looking over here coveting somebody else's piece of pie. Well, how come I can't make that much money? How come I can't? When you start looking at life that way, you're falling into this trap that they fell into. And jealousy and bitterness and envy is going to start to come into your heart. It's a hard balance to keep, right? To be content with the piece of pie that God in his providence has allowed you to have. Doesn't mean that I can't desire a bigger piece of pie. But if I don't get that bigger piece of pie, I'm good, God. Like the Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. If I got a little bit, if I got a lot, I'm good. I would like to have more. But God, if I don't have more, I'm good. I'm going to still love other people. I'm still going to be charitable with what little I have. But I'm not going to allow this envy and bitterness, this unrest to enter into my heart. This is what James is getting at here. So notice that he says, again, in verse 3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now look at the accusation. Look at what he says to these people. These are believers. You adulterous people. Wow. Wow. He just called them all adulterers. You remember in the Old Testament, when God was dealing with the nation of Israel, oftentimes God would look at the nation of Israel when they begin to reject Jehovah and stop worshiping him, and they start going after other gods, he would call Israel what? You adulterous people. In other words, you've left the relationship. You've left your first love. What is he saying here to these people? These teachers, these believers that are bickering and filled with jealousy and asking and mad because they're not getting all these things. God's saying, you've committed adultery. You've left me. You've left me. It's all about you now. It's no different than in a marriage when one spouse begins to desire someone outside of the marriage. That's called adultery, right? And this is what they're doing. This is a strong indictment on these believers. 
Remember, as I'm going through this book this week, I'm like, these are believers he's talking to, <laughs> right? It shows you that any of us could fall into this. But he calls them an adulterous people. Now, why? Why? Well, he goes on and look at what he says. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. Now, we've got to be careful here. What is he saying? He calls these believers an adulterous people. Adultery is when you break the relationship and you go after someone else. In a, you're in a marriage and you go after someone else. You've committed adultery. He's using this as, as a metaphor to talk about their spiritual condition. No longer are you concerned about me. No longer is your love to me anymore. Now your love is what? He calls them what? You've become friends with the world. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. You've broken our relationship. He's not talking about losing salvation here. He's talking to believers. He's talking about their spiritual state in the fellowship with God. It is being broken because you are running after the world. Now, what does he mean? What does he mean when he says friendship with the world? He's not talking about being friends with people who are unsaved. It's not what he's talking about. Okay? He's not talking about, well, I can't have any unbelievers in my life. No, he's talking about a way of thinking that is unspiritual. A way of thinking where it's all about you. It's all about what you want. And you're removing the whole spiritual aspect as far as what pleases his God. My life is no longer uh, controlled or informed by God's word. I'm putting that aside. I'm going to do me. I'm going after what I want. This is what they were doing. And they were proving that they were doing this by the way they were acting with the jealousy, the bitterness, the envy, the, the selfish ambition. God says... Now you are a friend with the world. That's the way the world thinks. And you're no longer in with me as far as me being the one who's guiding you, the one who you really love. You are now committing adultery. You have left me. That's a powerful indictment when you think about that. And it's interesting that James doesn't make any, you know, he doesn't try to smooth this out in any way. He doesn't try to, you know, James doesn't say, if, if you have this character in your life, well, you're just struggling and everybody struggles and you have your weakness, I have my weakness, and we all got to be. Like, James doesn't take that approach with this. Notice what James says very clearly. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, if you're going after the way the world thinks, and, and the idea there, that, that, that word means not the, the created world as far as creation, but the mindset of the world that is anti-God. That's what he's talking about. 
where you become God. You become God. Go back to the garden. What was the temptation? The temptation in the garden was not so much eat of that fruit. The temptation in the garden, the promise that Satan made, was when you eat that fruit, you will become as God. That, that's what got Eve and Adam. Like, wait a minute, we can actually be like God? And, and if you think about our world today, this is the heartbeat, I believe, of all sin. You become your own God. You do what you think is right. Put God over here. No, you're in charge. What do you think is right? So when it comes to how you navigate through life, how you navigate through conflict, how you navigate through purpose and meaning, you determine what it is. Not God, not a sovereign God who created you, not, not a sovereign God who, who has every right, every right to be in control of your life. No, no, put that aside. You become God. You do what you want to do. Do you know a believer can actually get to that place in his life where that's the attitude he has? And when a believer gets to that point where that believer says, I want to be God, God says, okay, in that moment, you've committed spiritual adultery and you are now my enemy. Wow. You ever think about it that way, folks? When we run off and do our own thing, we're like, God, no, I don't want you. I want to be my own person. I want to be my own God. This is why this sin is so egregious. And this is why James says, don't you know, don't you realize, believers, that if you have friendship with the world, this mindset, this anti-God mindset, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whatever my desires, my passion, my lust wants, I'm going to go after. The minute you make that decision, you are an enemy with God. Wow. He goes on and says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, you know, <clears throat> here's something that I often wonder. You want to talk about the grace of God? Because we're, we're going to see here in a moment that, that it's only by God's grace that he doesn't just destroy us. <laughs> Can you imagine... Imagine how offended you get when somebody offends you. I was driving the other day with, with, with Hannah in the car, and we're going through Lowe's, right? You know, giant Lowe's parking lot, and where you got to stop, right? So a guy behind me decides to blow the stop sign and try to go around me. We're in the parking lot. I'm like, well, where's this fool going, right? And so I pumped my brakes because I saw him blow the stop sign, and I said, this guy's going to hit me. Let me pump my brakes. Maybe he's not looking. And then he swerves to go around me. We're in a parking lot. People are walking. So I'm going to be honest. I didn't handle it quite 100% like I should have. But I was calm. But as I saw him trying to go around me, I just said, well, let me go to the left a little bit. Now, he got nothing but a, like parked cars there. I said, is this fool really going to try to get? And sure enough, he kept going and almost hit me. And then he turned and he stopped in front of me. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Now, I don't know if the guy was high. Maybe the guy's watching his message. And, and, and the whole time I'm wrestling with, and my daughter knows best, like, I'm, gonna get, I'm, I'm, I'm going back. Like, you ain't doing me like this. So the guy goes and parks. And I just sat there, and I'm looking. 
and he's sitting in his car and he's not getting out. And I'm like, yeah, okay. He's scared to get out, huh? And then cut me off. Now you don't know who's in this big white vehicle. I might be your worst nightmare. And the Holy Spirit's like, really? Really? How long are you going to sit here? I'm like, I'm going to wait for him to get out. I'm going to show him who I am, right? Like just that, that comes up on the inside where you're like, mm. So I said, you know what? I'm going to let this go. So I started to go, but then I couldn't. So I turned around. Because I'm like, no, he's not going to almost hit me and get away with it. I came around, came right back up to his car. By this time, I saw him getting out, going into Lowe's. And I'm like, do I get out my car? Do I say something to him? Do I go get his license plate? And I'm wrestling. Now, what was I wrestling with? What was I wrestling with? Why was I going back and forth? Let me tell you why. Real simple. Because you did something wrong that could have injured me and my daughter. I could have been in a car wreck because of you. And I want what? In that moment, I wanted what? Who knows? Justice. I wanted justice. Now, nothing happened. There was no accident. Thank God. But yet, that scream on the inside for justice, with something so minor, relatively minor, right? But that just that got a hold of me. Think about all the injustice we do in the eyesight of a holy God every day. Billions of people. And God not only demands justice, but would be justified in saying to hell with all of you. Like literally. Man. If I'm wrestling with that kind of justice, with something relatively minor, what about the unholiness, the ungodly thoughts, the ungodly actions that we do every day in the eyesight of a holy God? Wow. You want to talk about the grace of God? That shows you the type of grace God has for us. That's, that's God's grace towards us. And even these believers... In this church, these Christian Jewish believers, with the way they're acting, God doesn't wipe them out. He admonishes them. He's telling them, look, you're committing adultery with me right now. But he's not wiping them out. He's giving this admonition to come back, to get back on track. Stop living life for yourself. You ought to be living life for me in light of who I am. And what I've done for you in Christ. Talk about the grace of God. Talk about the grace of God. Let's look on. So he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Wow. What is he saying? Again, Go back to this analogy of the marriage. He said, do you realize that God is jealous for you? Go back to the analogy of a marriage. When one spouse cheats on another one, that's adultery, right? When one spouse suspects that one is cheating, jealousy arises. That's Look, when he talks about that God is jealous for us, that's not a sinful jealousy. That is, I desire you because you're mine. I love you and you're walking away from me. So James says, don't you realize that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? A true believer has the 
Holy Spirit of God inside of them. You are now God's. The Bible says, behold, what manner of love God has bestowed upon you to call you the son of God, children of God, right? He gives you his Holy Spirit when he has cleansed you and saved you through faith in Christ. You are now his. He's jealous for you. And for us to walk away from that and to fall in love with the mindset that the world has, to go after what I want. And by the way, don't believe the lie that Satan puts out there. Going after your own pleasures is going to bring satisfaction and contentment. It doesn't. It will bring momentary pleasure. That's why people sin. That's why people sin. Sin is pleasurable for a moment, the Bible says. Satan always tries to give you something to go after that you feel will make you more satisfied, more content than resting in your relationship with God and pursuing God. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. They were in perfection. Perfection. And then Satan comes along and says, nope, there's more. God knows there's more. He's holding back from you. That's the lie of Satan that he did in the garden. He still does it today. The temptation to go after our own selfish desires, thinking this is what I need in my life, and then I'll be okay. Then I'll be satisfied. And every time you come up empty, pleasure for a moment, then you come up empty. So then you have to do more, right? He says, look, God is jealous for you. He yearns after you. And then I love verse 6 as we wrap this up. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Thank God for that. Man, when I'm out there walking away from him, the God doesn't walk away from me. When the prodigal son went out and spent all his father's goods, and he came back, the father didn't even bring it up. He said, welcome home. That's grace. He didn't say, look what you did. Look all the money you used. Nope. There he was. He ran to meet him. That's grace. Grace is undeserved favor. And because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we have that grace from God. It's undeserved, even when we walk astray. He says, but God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, these believers had an attitude problem. It was an attitude of selfishness, of pride, what I want, what I deserve. And then they start going after it. And it caused all types of divisions. And in doing it, it made them the enemy of God spiritually. God says, no, listen, I'm a God of grace. But notice what he says. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And I will give you grace. In other words, guys, we got to get to a place in our life where we really believe that God really doesn't owe us anything. And I'm convinced I struggle with it at times. Many believers I talk to struggle with. We really believe God owes us something. We say, well, I know he died on the cross, but if you can put a but in that statement, then you think God owes you something. It should be, I know God died on the cross for me, period. He owes me nothing, period. And then we all, that, that doesn't sit right with us sometimes. Yeah, but what about, but what about? And the more I study God's word, the more he's trying to show me and get me to understand, I got all that I need. I really do. There is nothing out there that, that will give me more fulfillment. That's what Satan tries to get, tries to get us to think. No, I, I know Christ died for you, but if this would happen in your life, then you would really be fulfilled. And then you start looking at that and going after that. And he got you. 
and all of a sudden God's not enough. Now again, like I said, you got to balance this with enjoying life and enjoying, if you can travel, travel, not now. But if you can go out and do things and plant a garden and build a car and build computers and enjoy life. But here's, here's the thing. That doesn't determine who I am. I'm not fulfilled because of my experiences in life. I'm fulfilled because I have the life giver living within me. And now I can enjoy life. But whatever happens in this life, it doesn't affect my relationship this way. Man, that's the joy of contentment. So examine your hearts, guys. Where are you? What are you going after? Are you resting in the God who gave Christ to pay for your sins so that you might be with him throughout all eternity? There is nothing in this world that's going to match that type of love. Are you trying to replace it with other things? Are you making yourself an enemy of God? Are you spiritually walking away from God because you're going after things of the world rather than pursuing God? Amen? God, I pray for your word that it would convict all of our hearts. It's so easy to get off track. But thank you for your word, God, where we can see where the instruction is there, the admonition, the rebuke is there. God, you call us to repentance. So I pray for all of us that you would help us to examine our lives. What are we really going after? What's really making us feel that we got a sense of purpose and a reason to get up the next day? God, do we have our heart hooked on things in this world? God, I pray that you would break those chains and, and help us to rest in you and who you are. So God, thank you for your word. Bless those that are listening, those that will be listening. Help us to make the changes we need to make by your grace through applying your word in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys for tuning in. And again, by God's grace, uh, I'm assuming we'll probably be here again in the same format next week until uh, obviously the governor lifts this, this um, ban. But uh, again, it doesn't stop the word from going out. So thank you for tuning in. And remember, next week, check out our YouTube channel uh, sometime after Wednesday, and we'll have the first session on how to study God's word as we're going to get into a series on how to do that. God bless. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the AFC Podcast. If you would like to join us in our service, we meet at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, PA, in what is called the Daybreak Room, located in the Dubs Memorial Community Center. Services start at 1 o'clock. We would love to have you come visit. Until next week, God bless and apply His Word.